Let's put our hands together for Dr. Pastor Seth Fawcett. For those of you who just put on your seatbelts, take them off. For those who said we want a nice, quiet service, you're in for a good time. Um, Some of what's been happening tonight is not a surprise. There is a story in Scripture which says about, we, we recorded about Elijah, and he'd encountered a lot of stuff, and then he, he was like, I'm tired. And an angel came and said to him, get encouraged, get refreshed, get strengthened. There is a great journey ahead. The angel of the church has been speaking tonight and saying, be encouraged and get ready. There's a great journey ahead. I've noticed over many, many years that all through December, as humans, we can be saying, huh, the year's there, I'm ready for taking it easy. But I've noticed for, for years that all through December is when God starts saying, be refreshed, looking towards. In other words, getting ready for what is going to happen, not just I'm recovering from the year. If you're struggling at recovering from the year, it's because you didn't drink enough during the year. Just saying it. Because we're all supposed to be drinking on the job. There is no test by religious police for drinking too much on the job. We are supposed to drink of the Spirit all the way through the year. That's where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. But over these times, we're supposed to be getting focused towards God so that we don't start the year trying to put air in the tires When I worked on the farm, we had water, a substantial amount of water in the tire of the tractor, and then some air. And that was so that as you were on the hills and everything else, there was a greater degree of traction, and the sort of center of gravity of the tractor was lower. And so you could do things. We've got to make sure we've got the water, the living water in our tires and then the wind of the Holy Spirit that is there. So we start the year ready for whatever is going to happen. And so, yeah, I, I just appreciate the fact of the angel of the church speaking tonight through different prophetic ways and just in, in the worship. I'm going to speak just for a few minutes whatever that means. But the title of this message which God dropped into my spirit was, is Triumph Over Discouragement and Weariness. 
Triumph over discouragement and weariness. You see, discouragement has long been the greatest tool of the enemy. That's what he tries to do so often. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been a Christian leader for a long time. And there comes times when everybody starts talking, oh, I'm just weary, I'm just weary. Well, drink. Because if you're talking more about weariness than you are drinking, you've got a spiritual problem. Because the Bible says they shall run and not grow weary. If you are waiting on the Lord, you will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. And so when we are hearing Christians talking about their weariness, it's because they're not getting first things first. Because we minister out of the flow of the Spirit. And so, but there is a triumph. And if this is a bit blunt, well, that's okay. In Scripture, every story is there for a reason. Every story is to encourage us and to empower us as we get closer to the return of Jesus. As we get closer to the wrapping up of this age. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to the wrapping up of this age. Oh, we'll try church here. I'm looking forward to the wrapping up. I'll try the middle. I'm looking forward to the wrapping up of this age. Yeah, come on. Huh. That doesn't mean to say that the world is finished and we're all just going to go in one nuclear big blast. The king is going to come. There's going to be a wrapping up of this age and he's going to establish his age. The kingdom age. And it's so good. And so that's what all the stories are there for, to help us. In the book of Nehemiah, we read of how people responded to the promises of God. God's always been the God of promise. He always has. I love the fact that his promise right there in Genesis is that humans are going to crush, bruise, mess up the devil. Oh, just try this side. You know, <laughs> that's in Genesis. It hasn't stopped. That promise is still sitting there. The, the reality is the children of God have incredible promises. And so we read in the story of Nehemiah how, how some saw a spiritual picture and they kept faith alive. And we can see how some, even today, see a spiritual picture and keep faith alive. And others see current circumstances and go, oh, I'm not one of those people. The background to the story of Nehemiah is that Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians. I'm not giving you a history lesson. I got those at school. 
And for over seven and for 70 years, the, the nation was enslaved, with most of the people being dragged off to Babylon to be slaves and to build great things, which still exist today. And this time of captivity in Babylon is the background to the book of Daniel and to his prophetic revelations and his prophetic declarations. And so we read how Daniel kept the promises of God alive in his life and at the forefront of his thinking. Now, what were those promises in the book of Jeremiah? We're just doing a quick trip through many scriptures here for a few minutes. And if you're getting bored, just speak in tongues. It'll bring life. And so the, the, Jeremiah had, had given some great promises from God and, and, uh, and some prophecies. And so in Jeremiah 25, he, this doesn't sound too good. It says, the whole of this country, so which is the whole of Judea, the, the southern kingdom, it will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve. So this will serve. The Jews are going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But the next verse says, but when the 70 years is fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of Babylon for their guilt, and it will become desolate forever. And if you go to Mesopotamia today, you'll still see that Babylon is ruined forever. It's never been rebuilt. And there's been people that have tried to rebuild it and they've tried to say, we're going to rebuild it back to its state. And I just laugh. Why? Because God said it's going to be desolate forever. <laughs> yeah, and you can look and you can see that Saddam Hussein. He, he said, I'm going to restore Babylon. And yeah, he didn't succeed very well either. And so, but in Jeremiah 29 verse 10, it says, this is what the Lord says. So it's a bit later, he, he, he just repeats it. Jeremiah, just so as they get it in, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then it goes on to say, because I have plans for you, plans to prosper you. You see, we can so easily quote verses like that, verse 11, but the context is the fulfillment of the goodness of God. And, he, and part of that promise was that while they were in Babylon, if they sought the well-being of Babylon, if they made sure that some good things happened, then the rest of it was going to happen. And so if you look at history, there was Jews that were just raised up. That's the Daniel, that's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all sorts of things. Because why? They were fulfilling. They understood what God had said to Jeremiah. And so we see, what has this got to do with us today? We'll talk about that soon. And so eventually the Jews were brought back to Jerusalem, or, or many of them, and I can just imagine there were many of them who were like, whoa, this is so good. We're no longer slaves. However, the desolation that they encountered was debilitating. I don't know how you use the word. It was very discouraging.
I'm not sure if she's got the language for debilitating. That means you see something and it takes all the energy out of you. Yeah, they have to come up with all sorts of words, like speaking in tongues. They had to come up for a new one. And so speaking in tongues and sign languages now. <laughs> and, and the name, they don't call me Seth. They just go, that means cheeky. <laughs> Yeah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it was, and people got discouraged, and rebuilding was minimal. They just weren't doing it. They'd... But if we look at the story of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a city with incredible history. A tremendous history. It was a place where God's glory had been manifested, where the power of God had been encountered, where miracles had happened, and where triumphs had been celebrated. Incredible things had happened. It was a place where great prophecies had been spoken and all the rest of it. However, the people who returned, they lost sight of all of what God had said and only became conscious of the present circumstances. And so they were not motivated in living in the promises of God. And then along comes Nehemiah, sent by the pagan king to go back and be part of restoring Jerusalem. Because of the promises of God. Why? Because Nehemiah had spoken to a pagan king and said, but God has made promises about this land. Are you going to be in or are you not? He did not allow himself to be overshadowed by his situation. He was a slave, not allowed to look mournful in the king's presence. Not allowed to be there. His job was to be joyful, willing to be sacrificed to make sure the king stayed alive. That was what the wine tester did. His life was counted as nothing. So before the king had a drink, it was even worse than communion. It was really worse. Because, you know, Christians have given up on the common chalice because there might be bugs in it. When I was young, you passed the cup along. Many churches still do. You pass the cup along. It's like <laughs> when Debbie and I were met a few years ago, it was our 25th wedding anniversary. We were in England and uh, we went to Canterbury Cathedral for, for church. And uh, anyway, there came the time when they said, come and have communion. I said to Debbie, is she going, we, uh, should we go up? And she said, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> so I go up and they come along and sit, put out your tongue because they're going to put this wafer on it. So I put out my tongue, but I'm a Kiwi, you know. <laughs> and so the priest looks at me and goes, oh, This is Jesus. Well, the trouble was Jesus disappeared. 
It was a little wafer. It was very thin. And the moment it hit my spit, it just disappeared. But the next priest comes along with this big chalice, big cup, and you could smell the wine. It smelled really good. And stood in front of me and said, drink all of it. I said, thank you. <laughs> so, so I, no wonder Debbie said, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> That was because they were expecting me to take a sip. That's what, Christian, I'm not, not us. I'm talking about the other countries I go to. So many people take a sip of the goodness of God. And so we had the story of Nehemiah who had been the wine tester, drinking the cup first. So the king knew it was safe. And the king sends him back to rebuild Jerusalem with favor, giving orders to all the other provinces, give him what he needs. These stories are there for our encouragement, by the way. And so the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem started, and immediately there was opposition. There was opposition from people who didn't like the favor of God being shown into this rebuilding of the house and the city of God. They didn't like. And, 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 and guess what? That's where we come into it. Because you and I, we are chosen by God. We are here at this time. We're not here in some other time. I've had people say to me, don't you wish I was younger? My answer is always, no. Why would I want to repeat those mistakes? I've got the adventure of new mistakes. And so the reality is we are chosen to be alive now in this moment of time for God to pour His favor on and for God to use us to rebuild the walls of salvation in our city and in our town that had been broken down. The walls of salvation, walls are there. And so often when we see cathedrals and, and when we see uh, castles, we go, oh, that's all protection. That's one little part of it because wars didn't go on all the time. The biggest thing about a castle is it's a statement of authority over that place. And so we are, which is like saying, don't mess with me. Debbie and I, when we were in England, we went to, um, what's the one? The, the one that made our legs so sore when we walked around the walls. Warwick Castle. Warwick Castle. The walls, by the time we walked up and around, it was like, whoa. And guess what the Earl of Warwick was called? The Kingmaker. For centuries, he was the kingmaker. Why? Because it was a statement, don't mess with me. So we are here in this time of history to rebuild the wall of salvation that's been broken down in our nation. Because you could just go back a few decades and the wolves of salvation were in our nation, where God's name was honored everywhere. It was totally normal. People didn't mock, normal. People didn't mock you if you were a Christian. It was just normal. I went to Hutt Valley High School, and every morning we would sing a hymn. Every morning there was a prayer. This is the state schools. 
where the name of God was honoured and we can say, oh, well, you know, it was a bit religious. It might have been, but the name of Jesus was being lifted up and, and people were being told there is a Saviour and His name is Jesus and all sorts of things. And we were taken down to St. James at the end of every year. So as there was a blessing service as we finished the year and, and stuff happened. But the walls of salvation have been broken down and you and I are here today and we're alive now so that we can be part of rebuilding the walls of salvation. And that's where the story of Nehemiah comes in. And if you're not careful, I'll get excited soon. We can see spiritual attacks around everywhere. We see these salvation walls have been broken down. We see all sorts of things that are underway to undermine and to destroy God's ways. And so you've got this thing now about this stupidity about sexual identity. Oh, I'm binary. The Bible says he made the male and female. You're one or the other. That's what I believe. And if you don't agree with me, God bless you. It's not going to change me. Because that's what the Bible says. And heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. That's what God has said. And we've got to learn to be those that are building the walls of salvation. And then, of course, the whole aspect of same-sex marriage. And people say, do I believe in it? No. I've been asked, well, what do you think about it? I don't. (laughs) Why think about it? It's wrong. As far as I'm concerned, you see, the law says I am allowed to say what I just said. I have religious freedom to say what I believe. And I'm going to use that more and more and more. I've never been ashamed of saying what I believe. And I'm still going to say it. When I was in the factory, there was a Jehovah's Witness. He, he was one of my... Um, supervisor's engineer, he was the tooling engineer underneath me, I was there and something had come up, we were having morning tea, there'd been a meeting and then so people were trying to bait us, they were trying to mock us and so one of the other managers who was living in in sin, he said, uh, so what do you think about fornication? I didn't have a chance to say because the Jehovah's Witness guy said, it's sin and there was like, (coughs) and they were like, one said, well that's a bit Strong? They didn't know what to call it, and it was a bit strong. And he said, and God doesn't like it. And it was like, oh, that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) But you see, we're not ashamed of what God says. But the walls of salvation have been broken down, and we've got to be those that start to rebuild them. And so we've been chosen And although there is spiritual opposition, we can choose to live in the light and the reality of the promises of God. And we can be encouraged above the circumstances and start to see with our, not just with our natural eyes, but with our spiritual understanding. So we get to read Nehemiah's response. See, he did not allow the natural perception and the discouragement of disappointment to shape his future. Nehemiah, what did he do? I love it. He went out and he viewed the city, just him and God. 
Just him and God. The city was in ruins. There was burnt stones where there used to be walls. All sorts of stuff. And he went out. Alone with God, getting God's perspective, God's vision for the city. Reminding himself of what God had said. I will restore its glory. And the result was that Nehemiah was able to inspire the people. So they started rebuilding the walls. And so Nehemiah 4 gives us great insight and encouragement as we face opposition and ridicule about rebuilding the walls of salvation in our city and in our time. And so the, the people started to rebuild. This is, I said, we, we will be finished in time for the pizza. We will, we're part of rebuilding the walls. As I said, the walls are a statement of authority. And Nehemiah 4 verse 6 says, And so we rebuilt the wall till it was reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. They started rebuilding and got halfway. But then the rest of the story carries on. They got weary of the task and they got discouraged. And what's happening around New Zealand right now, and the devil's done a great job, is people have got discouraged and they've got weary. And they talk about COVID and they talk about this and they talk about something else. I know some medical people don't like it and some others don't like it, but if you don't test, you don't have COVID. That's just the way it is. It's a flu. I talk to people in Europe and they go, what are you testing for? It's a flu. Just, if you're not well, you stay home. I'm just talking about what they've been told to do in Germany, in Europe. If you're not well, you stay home, and when you're there, you just go back to work. Just, like, be normal. Now, you might not agree with me. I don't care. I'm just living life. And, 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 and so they got discouraged because people started to say things. Oh, well, you know, it's this and that. And read the stories here. This is so inspiring. You see, what happened is they saw the task and they forgot the call. We have been called. Jesus said, I have chosen you, I have called you, and I've appointed for you good fruit. But in the journey of life, we can start looking at the task and forget the glory of the call. Hello? Just got really quiet. But along comes a tall, bald, happy man and says, we're going to talk about the glory of the call and not focus on the task. Huh. I've never been scared of hard work. Because guess what? The harder the work, the greater the, the reward. Oh. Nehemiah 4. And it says, and meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble. Why? They saw the rubble still to be cleared and they lost hope. Now hope is the anchor to the soul. That's 
us. They lost their anchor in what God had said, what God could see, and what God said was going to happen. They lost their anchor to what God had said, and they're now looking at their capability. And what's more, they had been stupid, and they're listening to the opposition. They're listening to the ridicule. They're listening to the people who said, "If you, what are you doing? I mean, what a waste. <laughs> if even a fox jumped on that wall, it would fall over. And, and, and they started listening listening to that and they got discouraged but glory 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 there is triumph over discouragement and there is triumph over weariness if we will allow ourselves to be anchored to the rock if we will allow ourselves to be firmly anchored into what God has said and not just what's going on around us and so they forgot David's example which was to speak to his soul and say why are you downcast O my soul Trust in God. Have hope in God. And so Psalm 42, Psalm 43, it's there. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Saviour and my God. And we've got to learn to get the lessons of Scripture which are there for our encouragement. And the walls may be broken down, and it might seem like they're only half built, and there's still voices around that are discouraging. But we put our trust in God who made heaven and earth and we don't let what's going on around us destroy our hope and we have our our soul firmly anchored into the power of God and firmly anchored into what God has said and firmly anchored into the, how do we keep it there? By His Spirit. And that's why we drink on the job and that's why we encourage ourselves in God and that's why we and if you can't do that, will you do something and it just keeps going and going. When I was young, Last millennium, we had old-fashioned Pentecostal tarry meetings, and they would say to us, we'll just say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Whatever you do, say something. And it was hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I mean, you're only doing the same as what they're doing in heaven. But then suddenly something would happen. Suddenly the Spirit of God would come in, and the next minute it would be, and they'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. And the next minute, say more, say more, say more. And it was like, oh, and we were never told, oh, don't worry. You know, and and some would say, well, I've only got two words. Well, that's more than you had before. Use them. It's like, it's like, ah, ah. but until you got the two words, it was say hallelujah. And, and so, and now we're singing a song with a thousand hallelujahs. Oh, oh. I was in Germany. It wasn't this last, this year, it was in 2000, just before COVID came. And there was someone, and I said, you know, isn't it glorious? We can explore how many different ways we can say hallelujah. And they looked at me like, huh? I said, you can go, hallelujah, and you can go, hallelujah. And you can just, and just, just all the different ways. You don't have to just be boring, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I mean, you drive yourself to sleep. Even the devil gets bored. And, and so it's like, no. I mean, we can, we can explore the goodness of God. And so the people listened to the taunts of the opposition and they started to believe that the opposition had power. 
And they forgot that the king, the pagan king, had commissioned the rebuild. But I've got good news. The king of kings has commissioned a rebuild. The king of kings has said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make path a straight. Make it a highway for our God. We're not talking about a bush track in New Zealand. We're talking about a highway for our God. And I've got to know highways a little better than most people in this room. And there are some highways which are really, really good. And they're built for high speed. And it's like there are no speed limits. We are called to champion revival. And so there are such powerful similarities for us in this story. This powerful encouragement for us in this story. There is triumph over discouragement and weariness that's available for any of, any of us. And so we don't talk about that. We acknowledge it, but we go, but by my God, I'm going to leap over the wall. By my God, I'm going to run through the truth. By my God. And, or who's that? And you and I, we have this incredible privilege that Nehemiah never had. We have the Holy Spirit here with us day by day, wanting to live in us, wanting to touch us, wanting to empower us and put His dynamite power inside us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, well, I'll get excited quite soon. And so what did, what did Nehemiah do? He brought a spiritual solution to what seemed to be a natural problem. But it wasn't a natural problem. The people had lost their trust in God. And that's a spiritual problem. And so he brought a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. And that's what we have to do. I, I, you see, when I was growing up... I, we were encouraged, we got involved in all sorts of activist type stuff. Saw no fruit from it. And I realized, I'm not called to be a natural activist. I'm called to be a spiritual activist. Bringing a spiritual solution to spiritual problems. And shukur ababunda lala, maranda shunda. I got asked by some people before, before all this last local body election said, would you consider standing for mayor? They, I said, no. They said, you, you, you would probably do a good job. I said, well, that may be true, but I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm not called to bring a natural solution. I'm called to bring a spiritual solution to spiritual issues because there is a spiritual issue in our land. There is a famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord. That's a spiritual issue. And so, Labosh, <laughs> And so Nehemiah, he set watchmen on the wall. Now, watchmen is not to see what the enemy is doing. Watchmen are scripture and scripture. It's, they are to declare what God is doing. Our, we are called to be watchmen, looking to see what God is doing, looking to see. Yes, we're not ignorant of what the devil's doing, but we are called to be watchers. What's God doing right now? What's God doing right now? Why? That brings encouragement to people. That means, and so a watchman on the wall, you and I, we can say to the people around us, can can you see what God's doing? I can see what God's doing. I can see His promises being fulfilled. I can see it. Oh, every time we see it, I can see it. Oh, I'm going under. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. Someone said to me today, they said, it's really hard to sleep when you're preaching. I said, well, I didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. 
I just learned something. <laughs> Come to church and have a sleep. <laughs> well, I suppose it's really good. You can save going to the gym. You get your neck exercises sorted. <laughs> you can get your arm exercises. <laughs> That's if you've got to watch. <sighs> but what were the watchmen supposed to do? They're the people who have a God perspective. Been aware of what the enemy is doing, but declaring what God is intending. And Isaiah 62, I've just got to finish by doing this. And it says there, this is what God said. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. And that sounds daunting. Just as we're heading to Christmas. Seth, why did you come up with a sermon like this? Well, I didn't. God did. But it goes on to say, and give him no rest. Oh, shakapuhunda labushunda. Give God no rest. Give God no rest. Oh, I'm getting a bit tired. Then shakapuhunda burunda lolola. And come on, God. On the 12th of March, 1995, we had Sunday morning church and the air was electric. It was, I did have a little bit of hair on my arm, not much on the head, but it was like the hair on my arms was just standing up. The place was, and nothing happened. And we were home and that afternoon in the bungalow old place that we lived in at that stage. Suddenly those people just came. And there was this little room that we called a lounge. And I remember walking up and down. It was only like four paces to walk one way and then four paces to walk the other. This was my prayer. God, that's not fair. You can't come that close and not finish the deal. That is not who you are. Come on, God. You say, that wasn't very holy. I was giving him no rest. <laughs> it was Sunday afternoon. It was no time for God to have a rest. <laughs> God, that's not fair. I remember going, that's not fair, God. That is not fair. You can't be that close. We've been praying for two years. We can't. Come on, God. And that night, at quarter past eight, suddenly, kapumph. And I've given him no rest ever since. <laughs> but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. And so what does it say? And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Can we imagine that we give God no rest until he makes New Zealand the praise of the earth? And there was a time a few decades ago when New Zealand per head of population was the greatest missionary sending nation in the world. It's not like that now. But we're going to give God no rest until once again the gospel is going out from this nation in unprecedented ways and not just because I'm an old doofer because 
It's what God says we can have it. And because God, it says in verse 8, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. Never again will foreigners drink the new wine. In other words, never again will the enemy steal what you've been working for. Never again will he steal. There's going to be triumph over discouragement. There's going to be triumph over weariness. Nehemiah re-established the watchman and the work progressed. And there's a call today for the watchman in New Zealand, for the prayer force of God. And we must bring a spiritual solution to response to what is the spiritual needs of this nation. We can look with a natural perspective and become discouraged and weary. But when we look with the promise of God as our reference point, we're going to go, yes, come on, God. And, and, and though he tarry, wait for it, because it will come. That's the promise of God. And so come and it says, His coming is as certain as the dawn. You and I expect to see Monday morning. Hello? I expect to see Monday morning. And this promise of His Spirit being poured out upon all flesh is as certain as we expect the promise of tomorrow morning to come and that the sun is going to rise above those hills and it's going to come streaming into our house and we're going to bask in it. And it reminds me, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out. The glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is as certain as that and it's going to cover the whole earth. And so, wow, you see, right now, when we look at the promise of God and the Spirit of God being poured out like a flood, we can be encouraged and empowered afresh. We do not have an energy problem. We have a fire problem. And so it's time to be stirring up the fire, stirring up the fire. The nature of fires is to go out. And that's why we shaka mahanda burunda. And so our prayers should be refueling the fire of God in our lives. Now, faith is, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill the earth. And so oh, we're going to watch and pray and see the fire of God come. We're going to see the tide turn in our generation. And we're going to see the promise of, of Isaiah fulfilled and the Lord has sworn by his right hand and so let's pray can you stand with me please let's pray the prayer of faith for our city for our nation and our generation let's pray prayer needs faith and faith needs hope and hope needs joy and so as watch people on the wall of salvation, we declare that the king is ready to return. As watchers, we declare the dominion of the king, whose right it is to reign. As watchers, we declare the glory of the Lord is rising. And so come on, Mandala, But you see, we've got to encourage ourselves, not just looking at what's going on. And so just before we, we, we just uh, do a quick prayer ministry and, and just fuel the fire inside us, we're going to sing the goodness of God. We never get our eyes off the goodness of God. Lord, you've been good. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so good to me. Oh, Kariana, Masaya, Paranda, Masa, why don't you just lift up your voice and declare the purposes of God over New Zealand tonight? Declare the purposes of God over New Zealand. Declare the faithfulness of God over New Zealand. Declare the promises that He is going to pour out His Spirit, that the Smith Wigglesworth revival of 22 was not the high point for this nation. That's just 
just the, the pre-dinner drinks for this nation.